0: Hebrews chapter 11, mentioned earlier, but just in case you didn't have it marked already, Hebrews chapter 11, um, and this will, I guess to put it rather simplistically, this will be a, a very straightforward uh, compare and contrast. Um, how many people remember uh, being in grade school and you had to learn how to do compare and contrast? I remember. Okay, I got some heads nodding. Good. So, it is Memorial Day weekend. I wrote down four very simple, straightforward thoughts that we're going to use as we work through this section in Hebrews 11. And it will bleed over into Hebrews 12. But Memorial Day is a day that we honor and recognize all those who gave all the ultimate sacrifice while fighting for our freedoms and this nation. Countless men and women have given their lives in service. We, as a result, we enjoy the benefits and reap the rewards of efforts, not our own. And we look back as we honor those who have fallen. So just four very simple thoughts there uh, connected to Memorial Day, but we're going to Use them. It's kind of a launching pad. And what we're going to do as we go through uh, just the last section in Hebrews 11, we're going to consider some of the some of those who have gone before us in the faith. Some even who were martyred and gave their life for the faith. There have been countless men and women who have gone on before us, and countless men and women who have died specifically for the faith for the name of Christ we enjoy we enjoy the benefit and reap the rewards of efforts not our own namely jesus christ and we look forward as we run the race of faith as we run the race set before us we look we look forward as we run and ultimately finish our race that has been set before us. So some comparing and, and some contrasting here. The verses that I want to read from Hebrews eleven, we're going to begin in verse 32. Now Hebrews eleven, if you are uh, if you heard similar messages or, or uh, similar themes growing up, you may have heard Hebrews eleven referred to as the Hall of Faith instead of the Hall of Fame. It's a Hall of Faith. The entire chapter is a list Of those who have been used by God in in various different ways. And uh, you know the the big ticket names. Abraham, Noah, Moses, Sarah. The names that even people who aren't overly familiar with scripture. They would pick up on those names that they are biblical characters. But when we get to the end of this chapter. The author of Hebrews kind of. He just hits us fast with like a shotgun blast of information. Uh, And just runs through them real quick. And he begins verse 32. He says. What more shall I say? For time would fail me. To tell of Gideon, Samuel and the prophets. Or sorry. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Of David and Samuel. And of the prophets. Who through faith. Conquered kingdoms. Enforced justice. Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Now all of those we would look at, we would say, oh, those are victories in the faith. Those are easy to look at. Enforcing justice, conquering kingdoms, obtaining promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I mean, wow. We would look at those Those, those are overwhelmingly positive things. Those are things that are easy to get excited about. Those are things that are easy to celebrate. We say, wow, look at the victory that God gave there. Those are the, the easy ones, right? We would all look at those and say, no question about it. No doubt about it. Wow, that is amazing. Look at what was accomplished through faith. And even the next one. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Wow. Miracles. Miracles. Connected to our faith. But then. It's like a hard shift in gears. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. So that they might rise again to a better life. So, at the first, you have, you know, they escaped the sword, they, they quenched the power of fire, they stopped the mouths of lions, they enforced justice, they conquered kingdoms, and then you have kind of the inverse of that. They were killed by the sword. They were mocked, they were flogged as justice was perverted. And many, in the Old, in the old Testament, many of them were falsely accused. The true prophets of God were treated as false prophets and and ridiculed and mocked and tortured. Sown in two. That would be Isaiah. According to the tradition. Isaiah was actually sown in two. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute. Afflicted and mistreated. I'm reminded of, of Jesus' own words. That foxes have holes and birds have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Rejected by the world wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now those are the things that we would look at and we would say whew that's tough to process. These were children of God. These were children of great faith. And how was their faith rewarded? Mocking. Flogging. (coughs) Torture, death by the sword, being sown in two. You say, Whew. That doesn't that doesn't that doesn't add up. Especially in today's world. If you're a person of faith, God just wants to bless you, give you abundantly the things of this world. You, you don't serve God so that you can get mocked and ridiculed ridiculed and tortured. That, uh, something's not adding up here. But I want us to look closely Verse 35. The second part of verse 35. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. So that they might rise again to a better life. I want you to imagine that. You yourself. That you were being. Tortured for the faith. And that an offering was presented to you. An offer of. Your freedom. Your release. So that you could go back home to your family. Go back home to your spouse and kids. Go back home to your job. Get back to life as normal. All you have to do is recant the faith. Deny the faith. And you'll be free. Free to live your life as you once lived it before. This verse says they refused release. They refused it. Why? Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. The hope that was set before them of eternal life. The hope that was set before them to glorify the Father. Even if it means their very life. To glorify God through their death. And the promise of a bodily resurrection. They refused release. Because they knew... That even their present suffering that they were going through could not compare to the glory that awaits the believer even in death. So they refused release. I would like to submit to us today, right here at the outset. That kind of faith is pretty well foreign to the vast majority of what calls itself modern American Evangelicalism or modern American Christianity. A faith that can stand and even refuse release because of the hope of a future resurrection, a bodily resurrection. The hope of being with Christ in eternity forever. Now, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school as well. Obviously, sitting here today right now, there is not a one of us who could say with any ounce of Genuine knowing what would happen. There's not any of us that could sit here and say, well, I know what I would do in a situation like that. I know that I would stand or I know. We could, we could talk a big game and we could boast of great things, but many of us would probably end up like Peter and deny and fall short. But in this case here, what we have is a record of men and women who did stand firm in the faith. And even refused release throughout torture. Choosing to be tortured and, and, and ultimately die. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. Turn back probably just one page. Or you might not even have to turn back one page depending on uh, where you're at in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. Hebrews 10 verse 32. But recall the former days. When. After you were enlightened. You endured. A hard struggle. With sufferings. Now he's writing to believers. And he's saying. After you were enlightened. After you came to the faith. You endured much suffering. Sometimes being publicly exposed. To reproach. And affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. So sometimes it was you yourselves that were publicly reproached. But sometimes you were just partners in the faith with others who were being publicly reproached and afflicted. You had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. And an abiding one. So in this case, we're not talking about those that are refusing release from torture because they want to rise again to a better life. In this case, we're talking about people who they joyfully. Now, I'm not misreading that. That's what it says. Let that one sink in. Joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Why? Because they knew that they had better possession. A better possession. An abiding one. The possessions of this earth could not hold them because what held them was their possession of eternal life. And an eternal home in glory. And so I want us to think. Huh, I, I wish honestly that we had made some kind of agreement to just stay here all day together and pray together. And, and to consider these things because it you know, uh, uh and a 45 hour long sermon is not long enough for us to really deeply consider all of these truths. But I urge you. What we just read from Hebrews isn't, isn't some out there like, oh, well, we want to try to be like this. This is a testimony of men and women who actually did this. They lived in this manner. And now the author of Hebrews is reporting this. And giving this testimony. This happened. It has been done. Not. It can be, it can be done. It's an, it's an idealistic type of mindset. We wish we could be this way. No. It has been done. It has been accomplished. And this type of faith. Is pretty well foreign. To modern Christianity. In America. You say, Caleb, that's the second time you've said that. What do you mean this type of faith? And some of you may be tempted to think and you might expect me to say this amazing, just supernatural, just extra dose of faith that's just astounding. It's, it's crazy faith. is it? It's just faith. It's just faith. This is what real faith looks like. This is what normal Christian faith looks like real Christian faith. That's what it looks like. You see, when it when it comes to having faith in Christ and having faith in the gospel, uh, yes, there's there's levels of there's maturity and there's immaturity in the faith. But genuine faith simply believes. And genuine faith follows and genuine faith proclaims that jesus is lord and that god is the one true god of all creation and genuine faith continues to proclaim that message even in the face of adversity genuine faith doesn't say oh well now there's a danger so we're going to change our message now there's a danger so we're going to change our approach genuine faith says nope god is god jesus is lord The Spirit of God is able to to quicken the dead and bring life to the spiritually dead. And this is the message we proclaim. And this is the message that we hold to. Even in the face of adversity. That's just Christian faith. And so please don't fall into the temptation of thinking... Wow how, how do you get a faith like that? Like that's just that's almost like an otherworldly type of faith. I could never I could never do that. It's just faith. Not, not downplaying faith, but I don't want us to fall into the trap that somehow these people were like superheroes. These were men and women who had genuine faith. Faith is supernatural. Faith is something that is granted by God to his children. He causes us to be born again. He gives us a new heart. And with that new life and new heart. We exercise faith. So of course there is the supernatural element of faith. But when somebody truly possesses saving faith. They are able supernaturally. By the aid of the spirit. They are able to withstand. And so as we think on. Memorial Day of those who ultimately gave their life for our country, for the nation. I would say over and above that, we look at those that, that God has given us as testimonies of the faith. That have given their life and faith. We say, look how God used them for His own glory. And we'll come back to that in a moment. What are we to do with this testimony? What are we to do with these witnesses? How should we respond? We'll come back to that. But back to our four quick little simple points here. Memorial Day is a day to to honor and recognize all those who have given their life while fighting for our freedoms. We today are considering some of the heroes of the faith. Those who have laid down their lives. Those who have been martyred simply for the cause of Christ. (coughs) Simply for being Christian. And this is still going on today. We live in America We have freedoms that people across the globe do not have. There are still places, still today, that it is not rare. It is common for those who are believers to be disowned by their families. To be hunted down. To be persecuted. To be put on trial. To be put in prison. To be put to death. It is still happening. We simply do not have to endure that here. But our brothers and sisters in the faith are enduring that day in and day out. Across the globe. And we ask ourselves still today. You'll hear people. How can, how can they do that? It was not too long ago. That the report was given. That a, a group of believers. I believe in the Middle East. Was, was given notice. We we know where you're meeting. We know where you'll be. If you meet there. It, it will be death. And I, if I'm not mistaken. The announcement was given. We're meeting as usual. And we, stateside, many times we read stuff like that and we're like, how in the world do they have that kind of faith to go and meet when they know that their executioner could be sitting there waiting on them. And they're, and they're going to go to worship like normal? Yes. You say, Caleb, what would you do? What did I just say earlier? There's not a one of us standing here right now because we don't have that pressure around us. We don't have that persecution around us I'm not going to sit here and say well I'll tell you what I would do and I only by the grace of God would any of us be able to stand only by the grace of God would any of us be able to endure and be sustained through persecution such as that but it would be our faith in that moment it would have to be our faith that brought us to the place of saying if it is my day to die today And if I die simply from going to worship, then I know that this is God's will because He is perfect. He is good. He is sovereign. My days were in His book before I lived any of them. If it is my day to go, there's nothing that I can do to stop that. If it is another day to live, then God will grant continued life. Even if there are enemies outside the door that plan on taking our life, if it is not our day to pass, then God will not be hindered in continuing our life. No matter what the plans and the schemes of man are, God is greater. And resting in that, and knowing that even if we were to pass, even if if our lives were to be taken from us, our life has not been taken from us because we will live forevermore with Him in glory. It would be our faith, it would be our knowledge and belief in the truth that would sustain us. In those moments so the question that oftentimes it seems to go unanswered, how can people do that? how can people have so much strength to stand and just and just accept a martyr's death they that question can be answered we don't have I don't know I mean I, how do they do it? Faith, belief that God is God and that he has ordained all things whatsoever come to pass and in our lives we will not die a moment too soon. We will not die a moment too late. He is Lord. And He has all authority. Both in heaven and on earth. And when we really believe that. When we have faith in that. That will be what sustains us. And carries us through adversity. Persecution. Trials. Affliction. And so I want us to consider. That today. From Hebrews. Countless martyrs have died from the faith or for the faith, and again we may ask, well, what do we do with that? And we will we will come to that in a moment. The last two points are where we kind of there's a there's a contrast rather than a comparison. As a result of those who have given their life in battle, Americans, we enjoy the freedoms, we reap the benefits. Of efforts not our own. We weren't on the battlefield. We didn't lay down our lives. Others did. And we reap the reward. We reap the benefits of their efforts. As believers. We don't look back at these heroes of the faith. And say. Well because of what they did. I'm a Christian today. They don't get the glory. We look at them as great testimonies of the faith. But we reap the benefits and we reap the rewards of efforts not our own. Namely, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. Because of what Christ has done, we are saved. Because of what Christ has done, we can call ourselves Christians. We can call ourselves the children of God. None of what happened with Abraham, Noah... Isaac, Sarah, if you go through the entire hall of faith, none of what happened in, in the lives of those people added to the work of Christ. The work of Christ was finished, completed on the cross. We stand here today as Christians, as believers, because of Christ and His finished work alone. And so we do reap the rewards. We receive the benefits of efforts not our own. But as believers, we know that it is the efforts and the finished work of Christ alone as to why we can stand here or in your case, sit here today as Christians, as believers. We do not look to ourselves for salvation. We do not look to ourselves in in a manner of, well, I need to stay a Christian and If I want to stay a Christian, then it's totally up to me. No. Well, I want to go to heaven one day. And if I want to end up in heaven one day, then it's up to me. No. Look to Christ. The author and finisher of our faith as we will read in just a moment. And then lastly, Memorial Day is typically a time to look back. And remember and honor those who have fallen. And of course, as believers, we look back to the cross and we say, praise God for the finished work of Christ. But as we consider Christ, that motivates us to move forward, to run the race set before us. Not only to run the race, but ultimately to finish the race set before us because of Christ and what he has done. We as believers, we don't, we don't live our lives looking back, looking back, looking back. We, we should live our lives Looking forward, pressing towards the prize, the mark, and the high calling of God. And so now we'll pick up Hebrews 11 verse 39. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Now briefly, just to explain that quickly. All of the examples given in Hebrews 11. Are Old Testament examples. So what he means here. The author of Hebrews. Is that all of these people died. They never met the Messiah. They never saw the Messiah. The Messiah did not come in their lifetime. They knew the promises of God. They believed the promises of God. But they did not live to see the day. Of Christ's earthly ministry. His birth. His earthly ministry. His crucifixion. His burial, His resurrection. They didn't receive that promise during their life. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Christ has perfected once for all time. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It doesn't matter if they were believers before the cross or believers after the cross, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those of the faith in the Old Testament are not made perfect even without us today. There will come a time where all believers, past, present, and even future believers that have yet to be brought in. We will all be fully perfected together. Presented holy and blameless before Him in glory. We will be perfected even bodily. And that will be together. It's not that the Old Testament saints were greater or more put together than we were or that we are better or more put together than than they were. But we are all one together. Therefore, verse 1 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, pause. I know there's a comma there in the text, but I said we would come back to this. What are we to do about this testimony of these saints who died martyrs' deaths? Who were sown in two? Who died at the sword? Who were mocked, flogged, tortured? Who refused release from torture so that they might rise again to a better life? What are we to do with this? Do not fall into the trap of saying, well, I want to be like them. I want to make myself like them. I want to be so dedicated that nothing can deter me. I'm, go- I'm always going to remember those testimonies and I'm going to try to be like them. No. As we continue reading, the author of Hebrews tells us exactly what he would like us to do with that testimony. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now to me, that seems interesting. That the author would say, Consider Abel. Consider Noah. Consider Abraham. Consider Sarah. And go through this whole long list. Consider people who are mocked, tortured, flawed. Consider the women who received back their, uh, their, their children from the dead. Consider those who stopped the mouths of lion. Consider all these people and they didn't receive the promise. And now that you have been brought into remembrance of all of these great heroes of the faith... Lay aside your sin. That seems odd to me. But perhaps if our thought is. How do I be like that? How do I run the race like they ran the race? How do I stand firm like they stood firm? How do I endure like they endure? The answer is. Lay aside the sin. That clings so closely to you. Do not live in sin. Do not waste your time in sin. Do not coddle sin. Do not have pet sins. Lay aside the sin so that you can run the race as they ran the race. They did not run their race and finish their course in sin. They ran their race and finished their course in faith. And if we truly have faith, what are we commanded to do? Let's go back to Colossians 3 real quick where I read at the beginning of the service for our scripture reading. This is really neither here nor there but I I don't even have any super scholarly intellectual reason for this. I just I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Just how I feel. But we don't know that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but Colossians chapter 3 we know Paul wrote this. If you have been Risen with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Lay aside that sin that clings so closely. Lay aside that sin. That weighs you down. That burdens you. Kill it. Mortify the flesh. Put to death what is earthly. In you. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness. Which is idolatry. On account of these things. The wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You know what that reminds me of? Lay aside the weight that so easily besets you. What are we commanded to do as Christians anyway? Kill the flesh. Mortify the flesh. When you're tempted to sin, kill it. At times you could have a conversation with sin. I don't have to obey you anymore. I've been set free. Those whom Christ sets free is free indeed. You don't own me anymore. I will not obey you. I will kill you. If you hear of these great heroes of the faith and there's something within you that says, I wish and I hope to be able to stand as they stood. I hope that I can run my race and finish my course as they ran their race and finished their course. Step one. Get rid of the sin in your life. Stop holding on to sin. Don't coddle sin. Don't make excuses for your sin. Don't justify your sin. Repent. And turn away from it. Lay aside the weight that so easily besets us or clings to us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. And if you put those two things together. You say. Well if you're running a race and you're wanting to win. You're probably not going to put your backpack on. And then put your ankle weights on. And then you know pick up one of your children and run with them. If you're running a race to win that race. You're going to be. As lightweight and aerodynamic as possible. You're going to lay aside anything that holds you back. (laughs) So what do we do with this. With these testimonies. What do we do with this great cloud of witnesses. We lay aside our sin. So that we can run with endurance the race set before us. With our eyes set upon the finish line. Oh wait. Nope. That's not even the point. Our goal isn't just, I just want to make it to the finish line. Christians don't finish the race just by having the finish line in mind. Christians run the race and we finish our course with our eyes and hearts focused upon Christ. Same as in Colossians 3. If you are risen with Christ, set your hearts and minds on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand. Looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Or the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross despising the shame. And is now seated at the right hand. Of the throne of God. Our goal as Christians is to look to Christ. To follow Christ. To glorify Christ. That is the goal. Our goal is not to be like Abraham. Our goal is not to be like Noah. Our goal is not to be like. You can use more modern names. As a preacher. My goal is not to be like Spurgeon. Our goal isn't to be like our family members who we look to as heroes of the faith. Oh, I wish I I want to be like my daddy. I want to be like my mother. I want to be like my aunt so-and-so who was such a great pillar of the faith. No, give God the glory for placing them in your lives and look to Jesus. Don't look to your family members. Don't look to the heroes of the faith. Look to the founder of the faith. Look to Christ. Christ is the one who during His earthly ministry, He walked the pathway. He ran the race of a Christian to a T. To perfection. Why did He exist? Why was He here? To accomplish the will of the Father. And when He died on that cross, He said, It's finished. It's done. He is the object of our faith. He is the source of our faith. He is the one who brings our faith to completion. Another way that you could look at this, this is more abstract, a little bit loose, but... um, we're going through Genesis on Sunday mornings. From the moment that God said that there will be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. From that moment forward, the object of our faith, the object of a believer's faith, has been in God's promise. Now we know, looking back on that, God's promise was that Jesus would come. So from that moment forward, the beginning of the the foundation of our faith is that promise of God that Christ would come and crush the serpent. And the thing that carries us through until we are there with Him in glory is the fact that He said He is returning and He will gather His own. And there will be a great day of judgment. And when He went, He said He's going to prepare a place for us and we we have more promises of God promise that we will we will see His glory, the glory that he had as before the foundations of the earth. we know as well that all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And so from the moment that God gave the promise in Genesis 3 all the way through when we read some of the last promises given in Scripture and revelation, it's Christ. The author and finisher of our faith, or the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so we look to him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Looking to Christ is what allows us to run with endurance. Lay aside the sin. Turn aside from your sin. Repent of your sin. And look to Christ so that you can run freely. You can run to Him. And as you look to Him, and as you consider what He endured, He was obedient even to the death of the cross. And as you have your eyes fixed upon him and you know the work that he accomplished for your salvation so that you would even be a participant in the race the what he did to bring you into the race and you look to him and you consider that it gives you the strength to endure and to press forward and you say there is nothing there is nothing that I could have to endure in this life that compares to what my savior endured And I will look to him. And he will sustain me. For the joy that was set before him. What joy was in the cross? What joy was set before Christ? The redemption of those that were given to him by the Father, the redemption of his people, of his brethren. What joy was set before Christ, being seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of His sheep. You say, but to die a crucifixion—that's that, a that's a sinner's death. That's a that's a wicked man's death. He didn't he didn't care about the shame of the cross. He despised the shame. He didn't care about the shame of the cross. He wasn't worried about how people would view Him. Oh, people aren't going to think I'm the Savior. People are going to think I'm just a common criminal. No, He despised the shame of the cross. And He endured it for the joy that was set before Him. What do we do with so great a cloud of witnesses? I would say that yes, we ought to rejoice that we have their testimonies there for us. So we know that it is possible it is possible to stand and endure and to to be sustained throughout persecution and affliction. But what should that inspire us to do, if I may use that word? It should inspire us and convict us to lay aside our sin. Repent of our sin. That weighs us down, that clings so closely, that burdens us. Lay it down. Repent. So that you can run with endurance. You say, I'm I'm tired as a Christian. I'm worn, I'm worn down as a Christian. I just feel like I don't have any strength left, and I'm just I'm burdened down. Is it sin? Are you tired because of what you yourself are carrying? Lay it aside so that you may run with endurance with your eyes focused upon the author and the finisher of our faith Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior let's close in a word of prayer